Hey, a lot of you know that I do a lot of keynotes, in fact, like 160 a year, and I get to speak all over the place, but one of my most requested keynotes is up on the internet was one I did for the CMO Inflect. Now, this is a group of big, huge tech companies that get together every single year, and they had me come and kick it off. And it was one of those free-for-all where I really just get up and start talking about change, adapt, or die, how to be relentless in the marketing departments, how to be relentless as a marketing leader or CEO in any kind of company. Now, this happened to be for tech companies, so you, you'll get a different flavor because I wanted to play a little bit of that for you because it is the most requested one that we've ever had. I'm taking this week off. I'm in Ireland, so I thought I would you know, shower you with the best of the best. And that's what you're going to get today. You're going to think big, act bigger. This is all live on stage. And I want to give it to you. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Yeah, so please welcome Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a pleasure. I tell you, there's so much money in this room, I can't, I just want to stay here the rest of the day. This is, I, last time speaking to the Thai group was about 4,000 people about six years ago and still is one of the best events that I've ever attended. I do about 150 or 60 keynotes. In fact, this today marks my sixth cross-country trip in, in eight days, uh, back and forth between here. So this is part of what we do. Last week was here for an investor summit. Vish, thank you very much for helping make that a big success. We had a billion dollars in the room that's given away that year uh, to our CEOs. Uh, so first of all, yeah, I, uh, let's get the Trump thing out of the way. Should we do that? Just right off the bat, okay. Uh, seriously, women, he's here to help you. No, no, you're, you're coming against them, you're fighting, it's, it's a, oh, come on, that's funny, I don't give a shit who you are, that's just good stuff. <laughs> Let me just say that I, to, I, I, I was a judge on Slavery Apprentice for a number of years, uh, he is a friend of mine, uh, but let me just say right off the bat, technically he is batshit crazy, okay? Yeah, he is, but, but you should get used to calling me Ambassador Hazlett, that's a, oh, come on, people, this is fun, this is funny stuff. The, uh, you mentioned I'm from South Dakota, anyone here from South Dakota? Never is, but I always like to ask. Is there someone? There is one. Where? Where are you from? Rapid. Rapid. Where'd you go to high school? Central, Stevens, what? Central. Central. See, I know that because I went to Douglas High School, Ellsworth Air Force Base. This is my cousin, everyone, right here. <laughs> this is no shit. This is like the third time in seven years that someone was actually from South Dakota. You just fucked up my whole opening, okay? <laughs> you know, so there you go. So uh, if you think this is going to be a normal corporate presentation, you just kiss that shit goodbye right off the bat. So. Let me, let me talk to you a little bit and, and, and tell you a little bit about the things that we're doing and what we're doing. I'm leading the C-Suite Network now. I've, I've bought and sold over 250 companies in my career, over $25 billion in transaction. My last marketing budget, last marketing budget was $17 billion, to give you an idea. So, uh, but now I'm running a, a new startup of my own called the C-Suite Network. And last month we had over 12,000 CMOs uh, join the organization. We have 500,000 executives that are part of it. You know, no matter where I go, everyone always wants to ask me about Kodak, which is great. And I like to tell you, I, I left the company back in 2010. And um, just yesterday I was on CNN and, and, and I was uh, doing a remote. 
which means I'm in a little tiny room looking at a camera, can't see who I'm talking to, but there's an earpiece in my ear and I'm talking to somebody two or 3,000 miles away. And, and you have a chance while you're doing that to talk to the people who are also with you and you know, you kind of do a round robin, where are you from, so forth and so on. So this one exec said, Jeff, what the hell, why did Kodak go bankrupt two years ago? And I said, you know, they didn't go bankrupt two years ago. They actually went bankrupt back in 1975, all right? So in 1975, a gentleman by the name of Steve Sasson sat in a room and he put digital component parts and he made the very first digital cameras, a blue box about this big. I know it to be that box because it sat on my desk for the four years that I was at Kodak. By the way, as a CMO, that's the longest I ever had a stretch, okay? Longest I ever had a stretch. By the way, CMOs, it's kind of interesting you talk about the statistics. This just alone, 90% of CMOs coming into the offices today are not coming from marketing. They're coming from the business side. So it's a massive change. So agencies don't know what to deal with. There's a lot of things that, that we have to change in terms of the way that we look at it. It's changing the way we look at the business, but there are some fundamental pieces that are also being missed by that because of the education and some things that we have done over a length of time. Because you have to think about marketing and what your role is. Your role as a CMO is the inception of the idea all the way through customer satisfaction. Most business people don't look at it. They only look at it as the communications program, the lead generations program. But your job truly is the inception of the idea all the way through customer satisfaction. Back to my story. So I had this blue box that was sitting on my desk. You can imagine what it was like him, for him in December of 2000, uh, 1975 when he took a real photograph of his daughter. He put it on the, on the desk and he took the camera and he took a picture, a photograph of a photograph with a digital camera. That was the very first digital picture ever taken. Imagine what it was like for him to then go to executive after executive and said, look what I've done. I've done a new way of, of reinventing Kodak moments. This is going to be remarkable. It's phenomenal. And every single executive said, put it away. They said, we're not in that business. We're not in the business of photographs. We're in the business of film. Hey, get this straight. We make a little roll of film, okay, that makes 90% profit margins, that goes in this little yellow box. It's the most recognizable box in the freaking world. That's the business that we're in. That's the business that we're in. You gotta imagine back in 1975, we think of great companies here in the Bay Area that have the highest recognition, some of the greatest, what I would call hero companies. Who would they be? Apple, like Apple, we'd say that, that's at the very top. Kodak, 10 times bigger, 10 times more value back at that time period. And so they had the arrogance, the hubris of their success to be able to say, we're not in that business. They had the only product that people would actually run back into a burning building to save. Think about it, if your house was on fire, what would you run back and do? Now I know that to be true, back in, 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 night, in 2001, I was in my ranch in South Dakota, lightning hit the house, came through the house and struck me. Okay, I must have pissed somebody off or something, you know. And I'm laying there on the ground, I can't hear, I can't see, and as I, as I wake up after being jolted by this electricity, as I'm waking up, I look up, my wife is running by with a box of photographs going, are you okay, are you okay? <laughs> oh, come on, that's funny stuff right there. <laughs> what was worse was I, I, when I was waking up, my neighbor came over, because uh, he saw the lightning hit the house and he's a pathologist. So imagine what it's like when you're waking up and a pathologist is taking off your clothes <laughs> to see if you've got any exit wounds, right? 
You know, and being with you guys here today reminds me of being the first speaker. Uh, reminds me of the first time I met my wife's great grandmother. And my wife is five foot one, about 105 pounds, okay? Um, Vish, you know her well, and, and she's a little tiny petite thing, and, and Grandma Agnes is even smaller than her, 4'11", and I'm six foot three, 200 and some odd pounds. And, and, and the first time I met Grandma Agnes, she looks up at me, and she looks at Tammy, and she looks way up at me, she looks at Tammy, she looks way back up at me, she turns back to Tammy and says, isn't he bigger than necessary? <laughs> so, so I feel like that going here this morning. So, so I want to talk to you about adapt, change, or die, because that's the world that we're in. And what you have to understand is that you're always going to be changing. No matter what you do, you should always be going, I don't know what I don't know, in a constant state of awareness, because if you're not, you're dying. You will die. And so what I see every day in businesses, and I said I bought and sold over 250 businesses, $25 billion in transaction, I want to talk to you about driving change. Not driving it for change's sake, because no one wants to get in the car and lock in the steering wheel. But the, the mindset that no matter what we do as a program, no matter what systems we put in place, no matter what we have, we're in a constant need of change, of improvement, because that's what you're going to be judged on. And that's what people need to see. Because if you rely on the things that used to work, they don't work now. So you've got to find different ways of being able to do it. And so I want to talk to you about how to think big, act bigger, to be leaders, to be what I would call clock changers. Now, when I was, went to Kodak, I was so excited to go to work for Kodak. I'm going to be working as a CMO in a Fortune 100 company. Now, as CMOs, as my brethren here, you know what that means. That's big stuff, okay? You only got five officers per company. That's 500 people in the world. That's a very elite community. I wanted to do that. I wanted to check that off on the resume to work for a company that big, work for somebody that they, I mean, if you take Fortune, one, Fortune 1000 times five, there are more people playing football professional football than there are CMOs at that level or officers in the company at that level. So I was pretty excited to be the chief marketing officer of a big ass company like that. I mean, I was, well, this is awesome. I jumped on a plane, flew to Rochester, New York before I passed the urine test or anything. Okay. Oh, people, that's funny shit. Come on now. Wake up this morning. Wake up. I know the traffic sucks here. Okay. I used to live in Pacifica where I didn't, I first bought a house in Pacifica years ago. On a sunny day, I didn't know there was fog, okay? And then I learned, it's like, what the hell is this shit, you know? And so anyway, um, I jumped on a plane. I'm flying to Rochester for the first time. There's a 25, 24-year-old gal next to me, and we started a conversation. Could I want her to get, you know, ask me what I do? Could I want to tell her I'm the chief marketing officer of this big-ass company? And so, and she starts talking about herself. Oh, my God, yada, yada, yada. won't shut up, you know? So finally, she stops, and she turns to me and says, what do you do? I said, well, thank you for asking. I'm the chief marketing officer of the Eastman Kodak Company. And she said, this is a true story, uh, who's that? That's what she did. <laughs> Absolutely true story. So, look, I like to cause tension. I'm going to talk to you about tension. I think it's important for you to cause tension in, in everything that we do, okay? It's important for us to cause tension. That's our job. That's our job as executives. That's our job, certainly, as marketers. And so, one of the things I did when I first got there, I had, I had 7,500 marketing people in my department, okay? Yeah, I know you guys are looking at me like, hey, just take, here's what I always do. When I went to Kodak, you know, I came from a three-person firm to Kodak, right? Three people to this shit. And it was like, holy crap, how do I keep it straight? I just took the zeros off the numbers. It's a lot easier, right? So I just pretended it was like 75, okay? So it was a lot easier. So I started calling meetings together because I wanted to see the, the nature of our team, who they had. So a big meeting, pull them together. Then I started pulling the smaller meetings together. So what I decided to do is when I got them together, 
I, I, I want to see what they do, see what kind of team I had, what the medal of the team was. So I got there early and I changed the clock, okay? And I moved the clock ahead by about 20 minutes. Well, what happens is people start coming in, they look at the clock, they look at their watch, they look at the, you know, the phone and they go, what time you got, what time you got? And they'd say, the clock's wrong. We can't work like this, this is ridiculous. And then they start telling me about other clocks that are off in other floors and the buildings and how terrible the systems are. And they said, and then someone says, well, I know so many maintenance, I'll call them and we'll get it fixed. And I just said, move on. And this went on day after day, week after week. Finally, they're starting to report to me about the task force to fix the clocks, you know? <laughs> They got an agenda with notes and meetings and they had a meeting about the meeting about the clocks, okay? And I'm going like, why doesn't someone just do something? And a woman got up, uh, Lauren Lung, and she, she took a chair, she hiked up her dress, she got on the chair and she changed the clock. I named her my chief of staff the very next day, right? <laughs> you know, cause that's what we're looking for. That's what the leadership in your company's looking for. Don't wait, don't ask, just do, okay? Just do, and that's what we have to do as marketers. We have to do, oh, and you are going to make mistakes. Let's know that. You're going to make mistakes, you should make mistakes. Now don't wear that as a badge of courage that we fail fast, you don't wanna fail fast, you're gonna fail, okay? And if you're gonna fail, you wanna win fast, not lose, okay? Failings for losers, you wanna win, so that's what you wanna strive on. So let me talk to you about five areas in which I think is important for you to be thinking about. I do a show called The C-Suite, The C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazel. It used to be on Bloomberg, I was on Bloomberg for uh, three years ago. In number one primetime show, when was the last time you rushed home to watch a primetime business show? You don't, right? Yeah, you don't. Okay, I figured that out real quick, but. <laughs> But we were number one, number one grossing, number one net. But what happened was by the third show in, I had more people watching me online than were watching to broadcast. So I said, screw this, I own the show. How do I get out of my contract? It took me three years. Now we have our shows on C-Suite TV. We have 25 television shows only for business. We have a C-Suite radio, which is 65 podcasts. We'll be at 100 by the end of the year. We're on Apple, Roku, Amazon Fire, Opera TV. We now just took over the airports. And last night, which was really fun, uh, we went live on United Airlines, which is really cool to be sitting on United Airlines and someone's watching your show next to you. And then they look over at me and then they look at the show on the screen and they go, you look like that guy. I said. I said, yeah, he's good looking, isn't he? He's really, that's eye candy right there, I said. I said. Oh, come on, that's funny. All right, so let me first talk about, about fear. It's a natural kind of thing for us to have, okay? It's, it's human, it's built into everything. I, you know, the first time I met that beautiful woman who I saw across the room, and here I am 37 years later, still married to her, and she scares the living shit out of me every day, right? One look, oh my God, okay? Fear, it's there. It only lasts for a couple of seconds. You, you cannot be, you will be fearful. You need to understand it to do different things. Look, all my life, I wanted to be a cowboy, all right? I lived in Air Force bases, traveled and lived at different bases. My father was in the military, but you can't have horses on Air Force bases. They just don't allow it. So finally, in my 30s, I said, I'm gonna be a cowboy. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get, so I went out and got you know, saddles, one for me, my wife, my son, uh, my daughter, an extra one just in case. I got, I got one horse, I decided to get two because he needed a friend. I figured that'd probably be a pretty good deal. Got the trailer, the, the the, the truck, I got the hat, and then, and then I decided before I took him out to the ranch that maybe, I never 
saddled a horse in my life. I got the book, Horses for Dummies, the videos, called people, watched Westerns, you know, I did all that stuff. But I never ever, I mean, if I've been to retreats, you ever been to a retreat and you go horseback riding on a horse named Diablo or something? I did that, okay? But that was it. So I decided, well, maybe I should take him to a stables and, and put him in the stables for a while and get used to it and learn. And then before I, because if I let him loose, I, I didn't know how to catch him, you know. So I thought it was probably a pretty good thing. So I remember taking him to stables. I get him out for the first time, tie him to the fence post. I'm going to ride him. And that, I've never saddled a horse, you know. And I, I read about it on the, on the, in, in the book, you know, watch the video. But I can tell you it's not the same thing, right. And so here I am. I say, say put the blanket on. So I put the blanket on. He kicks it off. So I pick it up and I shake it. And I'm holding it. And, and now he's trying to bite me and I'm pushing his, you know, his head. By the way, rule number one, never punch a horse in the head. Okay. I'm just going to tell you, it hurts your hand a lot. It doesn't hurt the horse. Okay. And so we're doing that. I put the saddle up on there, the stirrups underneath there. I tighten it down and I get that. And then the whoosh, the saddle goes up underneath the crap. So I'm now wrestling that and the blanket's all twisted and the, the straps, he's still trying to bite me and I'm pushing his head away and doing that. And I found out later he hadn't been ridden in two years. So pro another question you want to ask when buying a horse is when was the last time he was ridden? So that's, that's important. And so finally, I'm going to try to put the bridle on. Nothing's working. He said, this is not the experience I was expecting as a cowboy, right? And, and, and I, I, the saddle's not working. I don't have the bridle on. I don't know what to do. I'm frustrated. Horse is frustrating. He's bucking. He's pulling. He's trying to get away. And so finally, I look way over, about 60 yards away, it was this young, petite girl, about 13. I remember she blonde hair, very small. And I, I remember walking up to her, you know, big strapping cowboy with the, my hat and everything. And I, I remember standing there before and I said, uh, could you help me saddle my horse? You know, that's what I ask. You know? And here's the rule. In order to be a maestro, you got to learn to play a lot of bad notes. Okay? You're going to be doing new stuff, different stuff. You should be. And if you're not, you're in the wrong job. Okay? Number two. Tension. I mentioned tension before. Your job is to take everybody from the center of the stage and put them to the edge. You're here to cause tension. They have a saying in sports, no pain, no. Then why don't we have tension in business? I don't get it. So we should be doing that. We should be driving tension wherever we possibly can. Driving tension. Got it? And there's going to be people in your organization that are going to ask you to come. Oh, no, 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 no. Come back where it's nice and safe. Come back to the middle. Come to the center of the stage where we can treat everybody all nicely. You know who they are. HR, right? Legal, those sneaky bastards, right? Right? So that your job is to fight that. Your job is, that's not their job, is to tell you you can't do it. Their job is to make sure that you don't fall off. Got it? Create tension. Number four, or three, radical transparency. So sometimes I see things and I go like, why did they do that? What, 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 what was the rationale behind that? One night I'm watching TV, and of course the, the premise of my show is I take you in to the C-suite, sit around the table, and you know, walk through the offices and talk to the C-suite where 99% of the most of the people of the company never get to go. And so I get to, I've had the pleasure of being able to sit at those tables many, many times as an executive of numerous companies, and I would see conversations there that would be very unique. And so I wanted to bring that out in television. I wanted to bring that back as a lesson, hence the C-suite. One night I'm watching TV, a commercial comes on. It's a pizza company. 
a commercial, and it says, our pizza tastes like cardboard. Have you seen this commercial? Everybody knows? Who was it? Domino's, Domino's. And I thought, who the hell runs a commercial that says we suck? Our pizza tastes like cardboard. You should try us again. It sucks. You, it, we, cardboard. So I went into Domino's and I sat at the table and I said, let me see if I have this straight. You're having a big meeting. You're talking about how great you are. And all of a sudden, someone, happened to be the CMO, raises his hand and says, no, 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 we suck. We suck so bad we should change our names to just Domino's, get rid of the pizza. Everybody hates our pizza. In fact, here's the empirical data that says we taste like cardboard. We should retool the recipe and then we should go out and tell everybody. Mr. Chairman, let me see if I got this right. Patrick Dole, you, you heard that. Then you said, yes, I'll spend $10 million, retool the entire company, retool world-class chefs, change the pizza, and then you're, you spent $80 million in a campaign to tell people about it. Basically, you changed the brand promise of the company. He said, no, we didn't. I said, yes, you did. He goes, no, we didn't. I said, yes, you did. It's my show. We're ending it there, right? So I said, so think about it. What was the brand promise of Domino's? 30 minutes or it's free. They cared more about getting us the box than what was in the box. That was the brand promise of the company. Think about this. How many of you called Domino's? Now, who's called Domino's? Oh, you lying people. You aren't even making eye contact. I know that you've ordered Domino's. So what you called Domino's like 11 o'clock at night. And what's the first thing you did when you hung up the phone? You, you checked your watch. You checked your watch hoping that they would give you, they would be late so you could get a free shitty pizza. That's basically the promise of the company. You were hoping they would give you shitty service so you would, you would get a shitty pizza and when they showed up on time, you went, oh crap, I gotta pay six bucks, 10 bucks. And they changed that. They, they fundamentally changed the promise of the company. They retooled it, spent the money and did it. They, the, the response to that campaign was phenomenal because they told the truth. They almost ran out of pepperoni. It's a true story. Do you know what their stock has done? Their stock went from 76 cents to now trading over $209. Yes. Holy shit. And they're doing it again. They're doing it with the phone. Have you seen it lately? What's the new one? They say, they say they have a commercial. They're running a commercial where you call in and they go, no, we can't hear you. No, no, it's terrible. It's terrible. No, I don't even speak English. I don't know why you're giving me order. And, and then they go, if, we're going to screw it up. You should just use the app. Have you seen this? That's what they basically do. And so it's just fundamental because it's brilliant because they actually say, when you order it, if you screw it up, it's your fault. <laughs> if you pick the wrong ingredients. It's, it's, but you know what the brilliant part is? The brilliancy? It takes $1.15 out of the cost of delivery. Fucking brilliant. By the way, this is the most personal device through history in the history of the world. I tell every marketing group I get together all around the world, do not screw this up. We screwed up email. We've screwed up email. Do not screw this up. This is the most personal device in the history of the world. It used to be your car, now it's your phone. Think about this. You know where your phone is more than you know where your children are. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Think about it. Somebody's going, oh no, no, no. Lose your kids and your phone in the mall at the same time. Which one will you go looking for first? 
huh? Woman over there, she's going, no, no. If I find my phone, I can call the kids, right? <laughs> Transparency. Oh, one more. Okay, risk. So when I was at Kodak, we were in one of the biggest fights there ever was publicly. You'll remember this because I'll remind you. At Kodak, because we were material science and imaging science, we we're the crux between the two. We owned more patents than most other companies combined in the world. We we're the th third largest patent holder in the world. Imaging science, material science. G Eastman, George Eastman, used to grow his own cattle. We did this all the way through the 70s. Grew our own cattle so that we could, when we slaughtered the cattle, we could melt down the bones to make the gelatin to put with the silver to create the stuff that we did to made the freaking pictures, okay? That's, that's how much we used to pay attention to that, okay? Right down to the molecules, unbelievable. So we decided to take that science and get into the inkjet printing business. Why? One, our CEO was from a former company that did it, so that was one. Two, the biggest player in the market last year made $9 billion in profit last year alone off of inkjet cartridges. $9 billion in profit off of ink, okay? Basically, you know who they are. I can't tell you their names because of legal issues, okay? You know who they are. But basically, they take the printer off the shelf for free and give it to you, right? And then the inkjet cartridges are locked up behind the counter, right? Is that the model? It's pretty much the model. Basically, here's the crack pipe, okay? Oh, come on. <laughs> That's the model. So we decided that what we were gonna do is charge a fair price for the printer, half price for the ink, and we still make a killing, okay? Let me give you the comparisons on ink, on margins, just on margins on ink. I'm watching the news last night when I got in, and it's talking about the price of oil. Bullshit! They should talk about the price of ink, okay? More expensive than human blood, ink. No freaking reason for it, ink, ink. Seriously, you know what's more expensive than oil per ounce? I'll get there. It's called the buildup right now. This is called the buildup, okay? No, some of you got it right now. Bottled water is more expensive than, than oil per ounce. Do you know what's more expensive than oil per ounce? No, I'm getting there. It's just a second. Some of you had it for, for breakfast this morning. No, vodka, vodka, okay? I know this crowd, I know this crowd. So vodka is more expensive per ounce. And you know what, more expensive than vodka? Champagne. If you have too much champagne, too much vodka, you're gonna need it. Life-saving penicillin. If you take penicillin, champagne, vodka, bottled water, oil, together, add it, times 10, ink. <laughs> Last year, you're, last year, you remember when gas was four bucks a gallon and you filled up your tank, you had a 20 gallon tank and it's 80 bucks, you were pissed. Remember that? You were like, this is, this is outrageous. Do you know what it would cost you to put ink from big ink in that tank? Anybody want to guess? 10,000, not even close. Now at Kodak, we were only gonna charge you half that. Because <laughs> we cared about you. So we're in this fight against Big Ink. I'll give you their initials, HP, okay? Now, remember that in the deposition, I did not say their name, just their initials. Now, 
So as a marketer, I said, look, what we have to do to capture the market, to come from number 22 in the market, from zero, from nothing, up to number one, two, or three, we've got to poke them in the eye. We have to, we have to show the people that pricey ink stinks. We have to show the decadence, and the notorious decadence of the model. So let's just take it to Big Ink and poke them in the eye. Because every time they have to respond, we get to have a conversation about why we're different. Why we want to charge you a fair price for the printer, half price for the ink. And you're still going to save money and we're going to make a killing. Okay? So we decided to do a campaign, a mobile campaign. When no one was doing a mobile campaign, I said, let's do a mobile campaign. Now, one of the things that we're big into at Kodak at the time, motion pictures. So I said, why don't we, we found out that our main users, which are what we call high burners or creatives, love to go to movies. So I said, let's do that. Let's, let's run a commercial in front of the motion picture before it airs, talking about Pricey Ink stinks, and then they get to text us a number, and they get to save X dollars off of Pricey Ink. Make sense, right? Really cool. And so we hired Vinny Pastore, right? Now, remember Vinny? He played Big Pussy on The Sopranos. Because who better to show the notorious decadence of the model than a gangster, all right? Plus, I got to say Big Pussy at all the big meetings that pissed off HR. So tension, tension. Oh, come on, people, that's funny stuff. You gotta have some fun in the executive suite. Come on now. And so that's what we did. So I said, let's do it. So we did this commercial. This is what the commercial, I can't show it to you legal, you know, but I'll tell you what it is. Vinny pulls up to East River in a black Lincoln Continental, black leather coat, black pants, gets out. He's carrying a baseball bat. He walks around to the trunk, opens up the trunk, looks in at what you think's a body that's been bundled up and tied up. And, and the camera shot's looking up at him as he looks into the trunk. He says, you've been lying to us. You've been cheating us. You've been robbing us blind. The family says, you've got to go. And it shows a picture of an HP inkjet printer in the trunk, right? <laughs> he, takes, he takes it out. He puts it on the ground. He beats it with a baseball bat, ties a chain with it with a cement block, throws it into the river. He gets back in the Lincoln Continental, puts his arm around a Kodak printer. It says, welcome to the family. Aww. All right? Because we got to admit we're ripping you off a little bit too, right? Okay? Because we're a little notorious decadence. Now, then it says, don't get whacked by high inkjet prices. Text this number and get 50% off of price ink. We tested this. As a marketer, that's what we do. Guess what my response was? Double digit response. You know what that's like. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. I turn the team nationwide. Let's go. Millions. Go, go, go. That weekend, I was running a motion picture theater, a motion picture theater, I'm watching what was going on, how it was going, people responding, people were laughing, this is awesome, okay? I can't wait. Monday morning, I sit down at my desk, two people walk in, and they bring me a sheet of paper that have the number of texts that we got over the weekend. I'm excited. I pick up the sheet, and on there's the number two. I said, what, two, two million? And they go, no, Jeff, two texts. I said, we spent millions on this campaign. I can tell you right now, that's not a good ROI, right? <laughs> I said, get everybody that's involved with this campaign and put them in a room. 30, 40 people gather, hold up the sheet of paper and says, someone's gotta explain this to me. I need to know, because I'm gonna have to stand before the board of directors and the chairman of this company, I'm gonna explain why we spent millions of dollars. We, we spent millions of dollars on the campaign, didn't work. This is a great asset, great asset. Somebody tell me, what the, what, the hell, what the hell went wrong? Finally, someone raised their hand in the back of the room. I said, what? They said, Jeff, what do you do when you walk into a motion picture theater with your phone? What do you do? You turn it off. I said, where the hell were you when we came up with this idea? <laughs> it's a true story, absolutely true story.
I turned to the team and said, no one died. We fucked up. But no one died. It's a great asset. Now what are we going to do with it? We pulled something stupid. Some of you knew, someone knew that that was the case. Someone in this room knew that that's the behavior, but no one said anything because I'm the CMO, it was my idea, and you let it go. If you do that again, if you do that again, I will miss you. I will love you, but you will no longer be at this company. That's, 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 that was a fact. Second is, no one died. Now what do we do with it? Now why do we change it? We took a risk. No one died. No one knows, no outside of us. Who cares, even if they do know? Stupid move, we'd get free publicity for it if they found out about it. So now what can we do? We retooled it to a digital campaign and grew the business by 1,247% that year. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that I've learned about Ty, and I've learned about this community, is the trust that's built up in this room and the sharing that gets to occur amongst each of us and the way in which we get to interact and I, so I encourage you to continue to be a part of this. I would love to spend more and more time with you, but my time is up, and it's been a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much. Cheers. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Becoming your own boss, just like you become your own brand. I'm talking about owning a franchise from the folks at Liberty Tax. I want you to be able to give Liberty Tax Service a call because with more than 20 years of business in the business of taxes and franchising, Liberty can help give you the flexibility you need and put you on the road to owning your own business. I love these guys. So reach out to LibertyTaxFranchise.com or let me know and I'll personally introduce you to the CEO, chairman of the board and or a couple of other people over there because they're good friends of mine. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.